Today's scripture reading is Luke 10, 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Hey, today we are closing out our series on the five identities, and I'm excited to do so. I'm also excited to announce our next sermon series as we uh, will be traveling through the book of Galatians together uh, from uh, starting next Sunday to the end of the year. So I just want to encourage you to be here next Sunday as we kick off this book. Also, uh, if you're looking for something to study through on your own, to read through, to keep up with us, uh, that'll be a great place for you to uh, start reading this week and praying through and seeing how the, the word applies to you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this opportunity to be here today, to be uh, with your people, to be uh, in your uh, presence with your people, uh, listening to this good news. Thank you that you are omnipresent, that there's nowhere that we can go, nowhere that we can hide from you. And this is good news because you are a God, uh, not only of, of love, but a God of compassion, a God of, of goodness, a God who, who knows us and who pursues us. And Lord, I, I just pray for this moment right now. I pray that you would capture our attentions, that you would allow us to listen to your word, that you would speak through me to your people for your name's sake and glory. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just minister uh, specifically in specific ways to each of us and that we would leave this place with our hearts standing up saying thank you Lord for your son Jesus Christ. Uh, help me to live with faith and obedience towards him. Speak Lord for your servants are listening. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. This week, Nike came out with a controversial ad. Everybody's talking. Y'all know where I'm going. Somebody's Googling right now. About a former NFL quarterback and social activist. And in this ad, he was the, the centerpiece, the center of attention. I'm not going to comment about that ad. 
But I am going to point you back to an ad that Nike did in 2008, which also had controversy. It wasn't the same amount of controversy, the same type of controversy, but it was controversial. Nike at the time had a young, up-and-coming superstar who had made it farther in the playoffs than he ever did. And they did a, a press release um, showing their new campaign or ad for him. And this new ad was simply, we are all witnesses. And it was a big image, billboards in Cleveland showed this image. And people who were religious got a little upset about this image. They got upset, one, because they felt that it was just some religious overtone. Uh, they, they looked at King James and said, this is very similar to King Jesus. This image reminded some of, of Christ on the cross. And after all, this phrase, we are all witnesses, seemed to have a biblical overtone. Nike, when they uh, did this marketing, they, interesting enough, used some, some biblical language in order to create excitement. They said, this we are all witnesses campaign, and I'm paraphrasing, is us all recognizing that we are witnessing greatness, power, athletic ability as we have never seen before. And I remember having a conversation with an older gentleman who was a great NBA basketball fan, and we would have spirited debates. And he told me, he looked at me, he said, you know, I'll never be a LeBron James fan as a result of this ad. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, who does he think he is? King James? I'm about King Jesus. And he was really upset. And then I thought about it. I said, you know, this ad does have some religious overtone. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, we see that God is talking to Israel. And he tells Israel that you all are my witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, 8, Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. And this is what he says to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to the end of the earth. So, so there was some religious overtone in it. But whether or not you think it was sacrilegious, whether or not you're a LeBron James fan, my point is this. My point is God has made us witnesses as Christians. And what he's made us witnesses to is actually the life death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even though we are not like these original disciples in that we did not have not spent physical time with a physical Jesus, and we did not see Jesus with our own eyes post-resurrection, if you are a Christian, we're saying that the life of Jesus Christ, that the death of Jesus Christ, that the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the ascension of Jesus Christ has impacted you. That God has taken your dead heart, your hopeless life, your aimlessness, and he has made you alive together in Christ Jesus. And as a result now, you are a witness to his grace. You are a witness to his majesty. You are a witness to his mercy. You are a witness to his goodness. You are a witness to the fact that you once were but God. And so as we talk about our five identities, we want to lean into this, 
this identity today by saying, listen, those whom God has saved by grace through faith are those who have been bought in in order to be sent out. Are those whom the gospel has come to in order that it would go through us. We are God's conduits. We are witnesses. But you know, there's, there's five misconceptions. As we look at today's text, there's, there's five misconceptions about what it means to be a witness. There's five things I think that this text clearly addresses that will help us to overcome myths about what it means to be a witness. And the first misconception, the first thing I see uh, in, our, in our church, in, in my own heart, uh, among many Christians and in our, in our culture, is this myth that to be a witness is an option. That is optional on whether or not we are witnesses or not. And, and we see in Luke chapter 1 through 3 that Jesus is, is talking to 72 other, 72 disciples. And he sends them out in pairs. Now, this is, this is what God does. He saves us. He brings us in. And then he sends us out. One chapter over, we see that Jesus does this again with, with 12 disciples. It's easy for us to look at that and say, well, Jesus, man, he sent, he, he brought in his original 12 and he, he sent them out. Perhaps being a witness is only for the apostles or those who are super Christians or really mature. But Jesus tears that notion down right away. He says, no, nope, 72. All those who are, who are following me closely, who are not just in the crowd, but, but whom I, I see uh, 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 of God's grace and whom God's grace has been placed on, I want you guys to come in. And you're coming in so that I can, I can send you out. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we see Jesus brings 120 near and he sends 120 out. Listen, if you are a Christian, being a witness is not an option. And here's what I love about the text. Yo, Jesus is like, all y'all come in and guess what? All of y'all are going out. And nowhere in the text is Jesus is saying, okay, here's what I want to do. Some of you guys are introverts. And for the introverts that really don't like being around people, um, I want you all to be on security. So the extroverts are going to do all the talking and the introverts are just going to be on security. That's not what he does. And he kills this notion that like evangelism and witnessing is for the super gifted, for, for the people who are really articulate, uh, for the people who, who just love theology, for, for the people who are more outgoing. No, he doesn't divide the 72 up according to gifts. He says, no, all of you all have been brought in to be sent back out. And I'm concerned that the attitude of, of American Christians specifically and, and Christians within our country, uh, that it's an attitude of me being a witness is something that's just added on or something that I, I get to do when it's convenient rather than it's not optional. The Barner Group in 1993 surveyed many Christians and asked the question, is it a Christian's responsibility to share their faith? 89% of those surveyed responded yes. This year in March, the Barner Group did the same survey, keeping the, the same principles in place, and only 64% of Christians said yes. And here's the thing, 
God has saved you. He has brought you in so that he can send you out. The second myth is that witnessing is lonely. That to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to, to live on mission for Christ is, is lonely. And the reason it's a, a myth is because God has not called us to, uh, to live isolated lives and to live on mission by ourselves. He's called us to do it in community. That's what we see in this text. The Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. So what is he doing? Jesus um, has set his, his eye on the cross. In Luke chapter 9, we see uh, that he's told his disciples that he's about to die. We also know that just a short time before, John the Baptist has died. And John the Baptist has died as a witness of Jesus Christ. He boldly preached and proclaimed the gospel. And so in this text, Jesus said, I'm sending you out. He said, I'm sending you out as, uh, as, as lamb amongst wolves. He said, I'm sending you out, but you've got to know you're about to be persecuted. I'm sending you out, but you've got to know you, you're going to experience some pain. I, I'm sending you out, but you need to know that this isn't going to be easy. This is going to be difficult. There's going to be some challenges. I'm sending you out, letting you know that the greatest man who has ever walked the face of the earth, the greatest prophet, has died a, a gruesome and un, unjust, uh, an unjust death. And he said, I'm sending you out just like this. But here's the thing. He doesn't send them out alone. He sends them out with someone else. Isn't that interesting that throughout the scripture, when Jesus calls people to mission, he doesn't call them to mission by themselves. He sends them out in two. Perhaps he sent them out in two because he knows that, that there's going to be some accountability. He knows our heart and how we can make excuses for why we're not going to do the mission. Perhaps he sent them out in two because, uh, uh, because there's, there's more giftings there. Right? Um, maybe one person is going to be stronger in one area and another person is going to be stronger than another. Perhaps he sent them out because he knows the human heart is, is prone to wonder uh, or, or prone to get discouraged, prone to, to find ourselves in a place of apathy or, or discouragement. And by, by having another person there, they can encourage and, and they can help to, to keep that other person going. But he doesn't send them out alone. When I was in college, I had a friend named Steve. Steve is, was really on, on mission for the Lord and he loved Jesus. The Lord used him to, to bring me back from a, a state of, of just backsliddenness. And one day Steve uh, called me and he said, hey man, I'm gonna pick you up, we're gonna do lunch on me. I said, cool. He says, I just need you to do two things. First thing I just need you to do is I need you to trust me. I said, that's interesting. I'm like, okay, I trust you. I mean, what, is it sushi? I don't eat sushi, but I don't think other than that, we cool, right? And he said, second, man, I just need you to, I just need you to follow my lead. I said, I don't know what this dude is on, but okay. So we, we go to uh, uh, the middle of campus, Michigan State's campus. I remember mean, like yesterday, it's packed with students and, uh, and we have, have lunch together. He said, okay. I said, Steve, what are you up to today? What are we doing? He says, well, what we're about to do is we're about to walk up to people and talk to them about Jesus. And I said, say what? 
Uh, he said, we're just going to walk up to people, start conversations, and then share our faith with them about Jesus. Now, I've shared my faith before. By God's grace, I've been, I shared my faith. I was able to uh, be a part of the baptism of, of friends of mine when I was in high school. But I never just walked up to someone to share my faith. I was more of the, you know, build a relationship over time and share your faith type of person. And that's what we did. For the next two hours, we walked up to people, we prayed, and we just had conversations, and we shared our faith. And I remember being so timid and so afraid and kind of, to be honest, I was kind of looking at him while he was talking to other people and trying to distance myself a little bit. Uh, this guy's a little crazy. And the more and more he talked, the more boldness I got, and then I started inserting myself into the conversation. And then I saw sometimes he would get stuck with someone and then I would talk. And we had an amazing time in the Lord just talking to people about Jesus. We even had a couple people that was there come and check out our Bible study a couple weeks after. And what it taught me was that, was that mission is meant to be done together. I mean, that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. The church is coming together. They're sharing meals together. They're sharing their lives together. They're sharing their, their joys, their pains, their, their sorrows together. They're living in authentic community. And, and one is, is struggling to fail and to fall because the others are picking them up. And they're not just doing these holy huddles in which they're just staying and remaining together and, and, and just living their lives and building their own kind of, kind of safe place together. No, they're, they're together, but they know that they've been sent out. And when they hit a wall and they stop being missional, the Holy Spirit then allows them to face persecution that pushes them out. Why? Because the church, the church, we've been saved. We've been saved not to sit. We've been saved to be sent. And some of us, we are at a place right now in our walk with Christ where we are static and we're not growing. And honestly, the reason why I, I believe is is because we have made everything about us and our little world and our little kingdom. And we've forgotten to stop and to meditate and to remember what it was like, what it was like to be hopeless, what it, what it was like to be, to, be, to be down, what it was like to be defeated by our sin and crushed by guilt and condemnation, what it was like to, to feel that, that life was aimless and going nowhere and to, and to have this emptiness inside of our heart and how Christ came and he filled us with the spirit and, and told us that he loved us. He loved us in, in spite of us, no matter what we did or what we said, and, and that he accepted us as we are, but, but not so that we can stay where we are, but then he helped us to to change and to see who he was through his word. And now we've kind of we've kind of slowly lost focus. And many of us in this room, we keep saying we're lonely, and I understand loneliness, and it's hard. And even in the church, it's hard. It's, it's hard to say to say goodbye to people. It's hard to have your community grow. And suddenly you're meeting new people and starting relationships all over. It's hard. When someone moves across town or goes to another church, but God has created us to be relational and he's created us to be relentless in mission and we can't do mission alone. You know, every summer since I've been at Sojourn, this is a good thing because we don't want to be known as a church known for our seating capacity. Hear me when I say this. We want to be known as a church that sins. And every summer, I'm going to be real honest here, all right? I go through this little thing. Because because we're a young church, we have people that say goodbye. They they get they get jobs, they 
They get careers, their family situation changes, and they move on. And every summer since I've been there, I've had probably five to ten people come up to me and let me know this was their last Sunday. And sometimes I get in my feelings a little bit. I'm like, what you mean it's your last Sunday? You just don't pop that on me today? And I know they're like, man, I had no idea. They're like, well, other pastors knew, and my community group knew, and my friends know. I'm like, well, I didn't know. As if I can know everything that's going on, right? It comes about me. And then I, I have to remind myself that this is what the mission is about. And as long as we're on this side of heaven, we're going to say a lot of hellos, but we're also going to say a lot of goodbyes. And saying goodbye to, to disciples of Jesus Christ who, is, who are committed to the mission of Jesus and who are going to another place to, 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 to pierce darkness and to live on mission is what we are all about. And we can't allow that to discourage us from pressing on, but rather we've got to say, Father, help me to press in. The early disciples knew what that was like. But mission doesn't have to be lonely. God has given us other people to do it with. Third, is witnessing is, is complicated. It's a myth that we believe that, that to be a witness of Jesus Christ is a really complicated thing. Let's look at the text. Jesus says, verse 3, Now, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. And when you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Set before you. And what I want you to see in these verses, and we won't have time to explain uh, everything, is three things. First, I want you to see uh, the urgency of these verses. The urgency of these verses. A lot of times when we think about missions, we, uh, or being a witness of Jesus Christ, uh, sometimes we can get in our own head too much and we think that it's more complicated than it is. Uh, but Jesus is going to show us it's, it's, it's really not that complicated. And there's hundreds of books released every year about what it means to be a evangelist and how to share your faith. And, and there's all these steps and there's all these processes and there's all these strategies. And some of us, man, we, we, we go broke buying all these strategies and trying to figure out a new way to do it. And it's good to educate ourselves. It's good to, to, to train ourselves for, for ministry in that way. But it can come to a point where we hide behind that and we become so uncomfortable and we constantly feel like we just don't know enough. And I want you to notice here that the instructions that Jesus gives, they're not very complicated instructions. They're, they're instructions that, that say, hey, this is an urgent matter. Why is this an urgent matter? Because I'm about to die. And John the Baptist is dead and now it's your job to go to these villages and towns and to prepare my way. Why? Because I'm, uh, when I die and when I'm resurrected from the dead, there are particular places that I want them to already have known and heard my name and my story. And I'm going to do something with some people there. There's, this is an urgent matter. Go in and do this. And he tells them, don't stop along the road. Now, he's not telling us in the same way. These are cultural things. Culturally, once you got kind of caught in a conversation along the way, it would have been rude to just stop a conversation without spending time in someone's house. And Jesus has given them specific instructions. We don't see in Luke 10 exactly where he's telling them to go, but he's giving them specific instructions. Hey, I need you over here. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And he's saying, don't get off of mission. And that's a good reminder for us. A mission isn't really that complicated. 
And one of the things we need to remember is that this is urgent. That Christ is returning. That the next thing on a, on a level uh, 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 of, of salvation, the next big event to come is the return of Christ. That that's what's next. The fall has happened. Christ has come. The resurrection has happened. The church is formed and moving and, and going to, to reach the nations. And Christ is coming soon. That's the next order of salvation. And it's urgent. It's not that complicated. And not only that, there's people in your lives um, that, are, that are here now that can move, that can die, and that if they died, they would die without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But second, we see dependence. Christ in his passage, he says, take nothing with you. Now, sometimes when he sends the disciples out, he doesn't say this, but this time he doesn't. I think the reason that he says this is specifically is he wants his disciples to depend on him and not on their stuff. He's like, you're going to go some places and you're going to go by faith. And when you go, I need you to have confidence that I've sent you. And I need you to get used to receiving people's hospitality. And to know that it's okay to do so. So what was he doing? He was stripping them. And for some of us in here, the Lord, the Lord is saying, you know what? I've, I've got to strip you. Because your confidence is no longer in me. Your, your, your confidence is no longer in my spirit. Your, your confidence is no longer in my word. It's, maybe it's in your argumentation. Maybe it's in your approach. Maybe, maybe it's in, your, in, in you appearing intellectual. Uh, he says, no, no, no. Your confidence needs to be in my, my gospel. That's what he tells them to go and preach. In verse 9, he says, go and tell them the kingdom of God is near. The king is here. Go and, and, and connect your story to, to, to the meta-narrative, to my story. And you just tell them, tell them what you know about me. And they didn't know everything about him. Once Jesus comes back from the resurrection, he, he, he tells them, listen, this is how the Old Testament relates to me. This is what this means and that means. At this point, all they knew is, is that they met a man and that this man has, has transformed them from the inside out. That this man didn't speak like other leaders, but he speaks as if he is the, 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 the author of life. He speaks as one with authority. All they knew is that they were, were hopeless, Nathan, uh, Nathaniel. And one day I was sitting under a tree and he, he walked past me and he said, follow me. All, all they knew, Simon Peter, is that, that he was a fisher and he was committed to his craft and his work. But he, he met this man who was miraculous and, and able to turn water into wine. And one day he said, follow me. And, and, and he, he did all, all he knew, Zacchaeus, was, was how to scheme and to, to build his career. And to, and to work for himself. But, but one day he, 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 he heard about a man named Jesus and his man named Jesus, rather than judge him and look down upon him, he, he, he looked on him with grace and said, Zacchaeus, tonight, today salvation has come. Let me, let me hang out with you. All, all they knew is what they knew and that's what they shared. Have you, have you made it more complicated than that? Maybe, maybe the, the first place to start is just about being intentional like Jesus models here. And it's that Matthew, right, 28, that as you go, right, move out. As, you, as, you, as you're going, make disciples. As you're, as you're in the shopping, uh, buying groceries at Kroger, maybe, maybe it's something like, hey, I'm just going to go to Kroger at the same time every week to do my shopping. 
And I'm going to try to see who's there regularly. I'm going to intentionally draw near and ask them really good questions. You know the way I came back actually to, to, to maturing in my faith after a really hard season in my life, many of you guys know my testimony, was because a pastor one day in a grocery store stopped and said hi to me and literally just made me have a conversation with him. The Lord sent him and he looked at me and he saw me and he knew I was lying. He was like, what you doing tonight? I was like, I'm studying. He was like, you're not studying tonight. I'm like, I'm a college student, I'm studying. He was like, you're not, it's a Tuesday night, you are not studying. He was like, why don't you come to this Bible study with me? And I came to the Bible study, he told me, he's a, he's a crazy preacher preaches, he's a crazy preacher. I was like, well, who doesn't want to hear a crazy preacher? This might be entertaining at the least. And it was him. <laughs> and he was crazy. He's a good crazy. Crazy about Jesus, seriously. And then he gets kind of spiritually stalked me. <laughs> What's your number? Gave my number to some other guys and they came and they loved me, man. And I was hurt. I lost two friends to death. Couldn't understand why the Lord took them. I, 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 was, I was hurt. I was supposed to be an NBA player, got injured, couldn't play anymore. I, I was hurt. I, this girl I loved, we ended up breaking up. But he came and he simply looked me in the eye, introduced himself, and reminded me that Christ loved me. Fourth, there's this myth that being a witness is either or. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ramp up here just a little bit. And the reason I'm going to ramp up just a little bit is, is for the sake of clarity and because I'm really annoyed right now, okay? I'm going to talk like my eight-year-old daughter. I'm like super annoyed, okay? And here's why I'm super annoyed. I'm, I'm super annoyed because within Christendom, right now, and it's been going on for, for thousands of years since the beginning, there's this dichotomy that says, is being a witness about bearing the word or is it about being about good deeds and I, i'm so annoyed and you can email me later here j williams at sojournchurch.com because because i'm about to say some hard things okay Here, here's the thing you can email me and i promise you i will forward it to another pastor and they might respond if you have a kid just cover their ears real quick okay uh, that's the dumbest dichotomy there is Look at verse nine. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. <laughs> now Jesus is talking specifically to these disciples. I, I, I believe that they, uh, under his authority and name, were able to do signs for the specific uh, period in, this specific, in very specific ways for this commissioning that, that we're not always able to walk into, okay? But his, his point is, bring healing to people and preach to them. In the early church, the reason why Christianity took such a deep root in, 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 the, in the Roman world was not just because they preached a big, beautiful gospel. That was, that, was, that was the main part. That's what Jesus Christ has come to do. I've come to preach to those who are captive, Isaiah 61, and those who are poor and oppressed. But it's because they also took time to meet physical needs. They built hospitals. When everyone else was running away from the city because plagues had hit the city, they were running into the city and they were saying, give us your blind, give us your poor, give us your broken. 
And not only are we going to love them at, the, at our own expense, but we're going to preach to them about this Jesus who loved us when we were at our lowest and who gave us hope. And so what I see, I see is, I see a smoke screen from two different camps. The first camp is the camp, is the camp that thinks, you know what, it's all, it's, it's all about just doing good deeds. Right? It's this message of preach the gospel and if you must, use words. It's like it's just all about building the bridge. And to people who just want to build the bridge, I just want to ask you, like, just be honest with yourself. Is, is the reason you just want to build a bridge is because you're not comfortable sharing a story uh, uh, to people that seems a, a bit miraculous and, and that people may think is crazy? And I want to let you know that what we believe to, to, the, to the person who's dead and to the person who has not been given a heart and been regenerated, it does sound crazy. Think about it. That this God split a sea in half and left it, allowed his people to walk on dry ground. I haven't seen it, have you? That this, this God loved the world enough to become man. And, and he lived a sinless life. And he allowed the people that he created to, to crucify him and, and not to bring him justice. And that he died and was buried and was risen. And that he's alive now and coming back again. That, it, that does sound a, a bit interesting. But this is the gospel. And the Bible tells us that he has taken the foolish things of the world and he has used it to flip things upside down in order to confound those who think that they're as wise and only the ones who are willing to become as a child and to learn from him will be saved. So don't just, we don't build bridges for the sake of building bridges. Louisville government did not say, you know, let's build this new bridge and let's beautify our old bridges. And let's not allow anyone to cross. Let's just look at them. Let's just look at them. Oh, my goodness, look at this. Let's make all these walking bridges. Like, we need to be healthy as a city. No, they built bridges to send people and stuff across. And the reason we build bridges is to send the gospel across. For those who are stuck on the word part, it's like, oh, all we have to do is preach the gospel. Anything that... Society is, is just for them. Justice, oh, it's just, it's just, no, no, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're just preach and let everything else, after all, this is all going to burn up anyway, and Jesus is going to come back. And then we get into the most intense arguments. Well, I'm a post-mill. I'm a-mill. I'm all-mill. I'm pre-mill, post-dispensationalist, pre-Jesus taking a nap after the superlapsarianism of and, and we've got to figure this out before we can go. We've just got to figure it out. And in fact, since you don't agree with me, and I'm like, you know, I'm a pan mill. Where's a pan? Let me mill it up. Okay. Uh, I hope you forgot my email address. That might have been too funny. No, those things are important. God has revealed himself to the word, and we want to study to show ourselves approved. We want to be able to give an account and an answer, okay? But when that becomes our excuse to make holy huddles and to live comfortable lives and not to lean in our identity as witnesses, it's a problem. And here's the answer. The answer isn't feeling guilty. The answer isn't feeling condemned. The answer isn't writing an email. The answer is falling on our knees, begging God for mercy, 
remembering what he's done for us, getting in community and going by faith. Fifth, and I spent way more time on that and I'm excited that I just remember we only have one more to go, so I'm good. <laughs> Fifth, witnessing must lead to salvation. This is a myth. It must lead to salvation. Look at your text. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God, excuse me, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will not be more tolerable it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. And so Jesus is very clear. As you go, you will not always have success. You will be rejected. And he tells them. I believe what he's, he's doing here is, is he's speaking to the heart of the disciples because they're just like us. One thing's for sure, and we can take this all the way back to the garden, right? Is we want to be accepted as human beings. We want to be liked. We, 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 we want to be embraced. And, and sometimes we become people pleasers and rejection just discourages us and it, it breaks us down. And what Jesus is doing here is he's letting them know, I'm sending you out as, wolves, as lambs amongst wolves. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be rejected. And he's even letting them know, you're going to go to some places in some cities and it's going to be mass rejection. But look at what he says in verse 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Jesus ministering, he says, rejection is coming. But here's what I need you to remember. Here's what I need you to remember, mother. Who's been praying for that, for that child and you just feel rejected. That they have not placed their faith and hope and the one that you've placed your faith and hope and that you brought them to. Same for you, Father. Here's what I, here's what I need you to, to remember, brother or sister, as you're trying to reach out to your brother or sister who's went astray. Here's, here's what I need you to remember, community group member who, who knows friends in the community group who has, who has walked away from their faith. Here, here's what I need you to remember, coworker who's been diligent to be a faithful witness at, at your job and it just seems like it's falling on, on death ears. When they reject you, he says, they reject me. And the key to being witnesses is us hiding ourselves in Christ's identity. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For to God, look at this, I want you to see something here. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. So notice what Paul says here. He says to some people, when you preach, it's going to be a aroma of, of life. But to others, it's going to be a, a aroma of death. It's going to be a stench. They're going to say, man, this stinks. What you believe stinks. 
You telling me that I'm a sinner stinks. You telling me that my unbelief has separated me from God and I'm under his wrath. And if I die this way, I'm going uh, to be eternally separated from him stinks. You telling me that I've got to live under his lordship stinks. And sometimes we can hear that and we can feel that even if they never say that. And we experience that through isolation and we think that we stink. <sighs> Look at this glorious truth. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ. He said, though you may stink to your neighbor, though you may smell to your spouse, though you may smell to your, your, your friend, though, though, though the people around you may tease you as you're seeking to be a faithful Christian in, in middle school or, or, or high school. He said, he said, to God, you smell like Christ. sees us and how he, he smells us than, than the world. Oh, that way, may we believe that he loves us and not because we're perfect witnesses. Look at the text. Look at this. This is amazing. Oh, I love God's word. Look at this. Verse 17. May look on the screen. The 72. So, so they leave and I'm sure they were beat up and like kind of confused. And they're like, we're just going to step out on faith, kind of like me in, in college. And they return, uh, and their response is, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And I, I wonder, my, my imagination is like, the emphasis probably there is like, probably the demons submit to us, right? They're probably like, even the demons submit to us, you know, in your name. You know? <laughs> like, man, we went out, we killed it, we crushed it. But it was, it was all about you, Jesus, not about us. <laughs> Jesus' response is kind of funny. That's why I think I can read the, into that. He said to them, yeah, well, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. <laughs> Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, uh, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your, your names are written in heaven. Mm. It says, first of all, I was there when demons became demons. Let me humble y'all a little bit. But secondly, the mission is not about your fruitfulness. And it's not all about your faithfulness. Though, faithfulness is required. He says what you should rejoice in is my faithfulness. Rejoice in the fact that I saved you. I love what he says here, that your name, mm, your name is written. What is it written? In the Lamb's book of life, it is written in heaven. Revelation uses that term, Lamb's book of life, the Lamb. It's written in, 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 in the Lamb's book, the one who was crucified book. The one who was a lion, a perfect lion, had all authority and power, but he became a, a lamb. It's written in his, it's the book of life, book of abundant life. The, 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 the book of true life, the book of, of eternity, it's written. And here's the thing, no one can take your name out of the book. Those whose name is written in that book, is sealed in that book, is kept in that book, is protected. 
protected in that book by the Spirit. It's written in and this week. I just started thinking, I'm like, Lord, thank you that my name is, is written in the book of the book of life, and in spite of me and all my corks and all of my my imperfections and all of my misses, that you you saved me and redeemed me and, and you've written my name. And then I started thinking, I'm like, you know, Lord, I don't even care where it's written. It don't even have to be written in the first billion. Just just thank you that it's written. And then, then I start thinking, I'm like, Lord, people spell my name wrong all the time. It's J-A-H-M-A-L. It's J-E-M-E-A-L. My pastor, I preach from in Michigan once a year. Every time on the program, I'm sure he does this on purpose. He misspells my name. It's like, Minister and Jamal, and he just kills Jamal. I'm like, how do you spell it every time? He just laughs. I'm like, you know what? Michael, Gabriel, whoever writes it in there, they can even misspell it. I don't even care. Like, like as long as you know that's my name, as long as my name is there, your identity is not found in whether or not someone accepts you or rejects you. Your identity should be found in the fact that Christ because of his work, has accepted you, and that God in Christ Jesus accepts you. He justifies you, makes you right before a holy and righteous God. And he loves you, and nothing can separate you from his love. Don't get caught up on whether or not it's fruitful. Paul said, some plant, others water, it's God that brings the increase. In other words, just be faithful and do what he's called you to do, and let God worry about what's, what's happening beneath the surface. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray that there be more workers. But isn't it interesting that the next verse he says, and I'm sending you. Mm. The night when Jesus was betrayed, had a meal with his disciples called communion, took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and says, this cup is a new covenant of my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Christian, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And every Sunday, we take this meal together to remind ourselves of the finished work of Christ, and also to remind ourselves that sometimes we're not witnesses because we're carrying guilt and condemnation because we know we missed the mark. And this meal reminds us that our righteousness is not found in us, but it also reminds us that though grace is free, it's not cheap. Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed so that we can be empowered by him and pursue lives of holiness. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice, the wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, I wanna invite you to come and to know Jesus. This passage is here, we preached it today, because Christ has called us and saved us to share with you this good news that the Lord who created the heavens and the earth has spoken, has come, and has made a way for you to find forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Come to Jesus. Make yourself known. I would love to talk to you. There's others here who can, who can point you specifically into how to talk to a pastor or another member to find more information about salvation. Already this morning, by God's grace, we've had multiple people ask that question. What, what, what do I need to do to learn more? And you can be a part of that group.
Those of you in front, you come to the front. Those of you in the back, you go to the back. Gluten-free communion is to my left. Let's pray.